UX Podcast Episode 202. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden, and Baltimore in the USA. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Lisa Welchman. We've listeners in 181 countries from Austria to Italy. Today, we're talking to Jorge Arango. He's an information architect, strategic designer, teacher at the California College of the Arts, and co-author of the fourth edition of what is known as the Polar Bear Book. His latest book, Living in Information, Responsible Design for Digital Places, draws upon architecture as a way to design information environments that serve humanity. We're going to talk to him today and find out a little more. So Jorge, I was really, really struck by these three components that you're talking about, systems, sustainability, and structure. And so systems is a near and dear to my heart because we all live and operate in a system. How did you sort of just settle on those three? My background is in architecture, as in the design of buildings, right? And I approach design from the perspective of somebody who is um, trained in the design of environments. And when you consider how buildings are designed, these things are um, not artifacts that you design like you would design an object, right? Um, I think that many people, when they, when they think about design, they think about um, the, the aesthetics of the thing or the, the kind of uh, what it looks and feels like. And um, that is certainly a component in building design. You know, the, the building will, will have a form that will manifest in the world. But there are many, many other aspects to it. Um, you know, for, for a building to be able to function, to be able to be a thing, there are many um, different systems that need to work together. There's a structural system. There's um, a, a heating and air conditioning system. There's an electrical system. Um, there are um, navigation flows that need to be accommodated. There is a context in which the building will sit, right? And when you're trained in architecture, you are trained to consider all of these things together, right? And that's, uh, that's the approach that I've brought to, I guess, what we now call UX design. When, when I started working on it, we hadn't quite gravitated towards that name yet. And um, that's the, the kind of systems and also the structure part of it. The sustainability part of it has come about as it's become evident that we are spending more and more of our time and doing more more and more of our work um, operating in these software-based environments and that we need to think about how they're going to sustain us in the in the long term you know if, if we're going to move key parts of our social interactions to these things we have to vie for um, for our societies to to be around, you know, and uh, and I think that we need to introduce this subject of sustainability, which again has been a part of uh, the discussion in architectural design. You know, in, in architecture, you have this concept of 
lead certification that has emerged as a way of guaranteeing that um, that a structure is going to be uh, sustainable and it's going to be respectful of, of its environment. And I think that we need to start embracing similar concepts in the work that we do. I think, I mean, sustainability in, in, in digital um, places, I mean, you use the phrase digital places and physical places to make to, to complete the analogy between the, the architectural world and, and what we work with. But um, we've, I think we've, We've grown into over the years, um, or been forced into maybe, um, a disposable um, environment when it comes to our digital places. Um, thinking about how you know we, we joke about how websites get rebuilt every like three years, um, we'd we'd never think of doing the same thing with a with, with your with your home. You wouldn't you wouldn't pull it down to the foundations every three years and build it up again. That's right. Um, software, well, there, there's that famous uh, op-ed piece by Mark Andreessen where he said that software is eating the world. Um, and software has several characteristics, one of which is that it's um, very malleable, right? It's to your point. It's very easy to make a change that impacts um, literally hundreds of millions of people overnight. Um, I don't know if it's in the book, but I remember um, speaking about this at, at conferences uh, when Apple changed the design of iOS, uh, when they moved to iOS 7, which introduced this kind of flat aesthetic, um, that was a change that impacted the experience of, of uh, many millions of people uh, literally overnight, right? And it changed that experience considerably. To your point, we don't, we don't experience such changes in our buildings. And yet, whenever there's a major redesign of an information environment... Uh, you go online and you see people kind of complaining about it, right? I'm thinking of like, it's not that recent, but uh, but within uh, recent memory that uh, Gmail was redesigned pretty considerably, right? And uh, there was a lot of uh, complaining about that. And and oftentimes, you know, it subsides and people get used to it. But But I think that we do bring that impulse to it, which is, these are environments where we're spending a lot of time and we want them, you know, we want some degree of solidity there. Right. You know, I, I just, I, I want to say, I want to push on that a little bit and, and maybe sure. disagree with, uh, with both of you a tiny bit. You know, in the way that I work with organizations, I often see the opposite. So I agree and, how about that? This is an and. Um, <laughs> I often see digital properties deteriorating on servers. So it's like abandoned buildings if we want to keep up this architectural analogy. They're all over the place, right? And they confused people or they only partially take down a building because they didn't know there was an annex or there were, you know, all of those other sorts of things as well, which I think sort of isn't really debating what you're saying, but mm -hmm. what do you think about the idea of that, of just sort of waste? If we're talking about sustainability, the, the waste that is out there and online. Absolutely. Uh, you are spot on. It's not as though everyone keeps their digital properties up to date, right? Um, uh, just before jumping on this call, I was going through the process of um, renewing my Flickr Pro membership. Uh, Flickr is an information environment that used to be quite, uh, quite popular a few years ago. Uh, its popularity waned after it was acquired by Yahoo!, and Yahoo has since been acquired uh, by Verizon, right? And in each subsequent acquisition, somehow it's moved kind of further and further from the, f f 
I guess from being one of the environments where I spent a lot of time to kind of the periphery and it's become kind of this uh, not abandoned because it's I, I, my understanding is it's it's being taken private again um, but it's an environment where I don't spend a lot of time anymore and I was debating it's like should I you know should I up my membership again and all this stuff and um, yeah, it's not, they're not. It's not evenly distributed, right? Like some environments are uh, changing very fast, others are not, and it varies. The the main point though is that we do spend so much time in these things, and we bring to them many of the same types of uh, expectations that we have of other designed artifacts where we spend a lot of time. I mean, I think you're right, Lisa. Of course, I mean, we with with the way that we treat digital places, it's you either kind of disposable, get rid of them, rebuild rebuild them, or you kind of you don't see them, you don't need to worry about them. They're not the pretty little thing, this or the buzzword anymore. So you can you can move it to a side. Um, it's but I I do think the analogy is really really good, and I I, I like using the the architecture or building analogy myself. And sometimes I've liked to think about how. If we map it the other way around, imagine if buildings did change as much as websites or were neglected as much as some websites. I mean, what, a, what an utterly awful place it would be to walk around. If we went to that town, right. you would never go back. Unless you like that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, uh, there are, of course, physical constraints why buildings don't change like that. It would be very disconcerting to walk into a physical place that changed that radically. Um, to, to this notion of, of disposability, there are kind of architectural pop-ups, you know, places that we go to that we know are going to be um, mm -hmm. uh, evanescent, right? Uh, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of things like fairs or uh, I visited... Rock festivals, yeah. Rock <laughs> festivals, for example. That's an excellent yeah. one, right? Like that's pop a community that... Pop-up pop stores. Even. Yes, right? So these things do exist... Uh, I think that we come to them with the understanding and the expectation that they are there for a uh, small period of time. I think, Lisa, to your point about uh, disposability, one of the things about digital is that it's you can spin these things up and just le leave them out there. I mean, I, I myself am guilty of this. I've, uh, I've started s projects over my career that... Um, didn't you know have the the energy that I expected would, would they would generate, and I've kind of forgotten about them, and they're still mm -hmm. lying around uh, these uh, yep. uh, these uh, kind of abandoned uh, hulks of things that uh, no one's paying attention to anymore, and uh, I suspect that there's a lot of those around. Oh yeah, I found one of mine the other day. Um, a website I created like nine years, eight years ago, and it's still there. I mean, it's I suppose it's not hurting anyone, but um, it's it's maybe lost its context and lost its attention. Well, yeah, and it's um, in your hand as well. I mean, when you have the opportunity to switch your mobile phone, right? You realize just what's on it, <laughs> right? The app you haven't used for three years, the you know all all of these other things, your your contact lists which are kind of squirrely. There's just all of this kind of dust and nonsense that you know, as you say, Jorge, if it were in your home, unless you like to live in a mess, you just wouldn't tolerate it. Yeah, there's a, there's this tendency to uh, to accumulate digital detritus, you know, of uh, some sort. Um, I, I'm thinking of uh, Gmail. Um, you know, prior to Gmail. 
I think many of us were very careful about how we stored our email and we created folders in our IMAP accounts and all this stuff and and uh, and developed uh, kind of very uh, personal archiving systems. And Gmail was interesting in that it encouraged us to not do that and to just use Google's fabulous search, right? And uh, I kept up the, the practice of labeling my messages for a while. And then I realized, you know what? These are a search away. And I just started archiving them. And at this point, I have, you know, over a decade's worth of email in that system that uh, I would say 80% of it or something like that is just completely useless to me. And uh, it's there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to spend the time to um, prune it or anything. Was there a time or is there a time when people do similar things with buildings and do you grow out of it? I mean, I guess we have. And like, have, do people grow out of it? What historically do you think happened with architecture? And can you see any parallels to what is happening uh, with our digital places? That's a fascinating question. Um, I think that the, the main difference is that this, the artifacts that architects work on buildings or, or towns, right? Let, let, let's consider uh, kind of at a larger scale uh, urban architecture, right? Um, these are artifacts that are designed with the long term in mind. I think that for most of architectural history, I don't know if it's true anymore, but for most of architectural history, when you embarked on the design of a building, you did so with the expectation that you were making something kind of for the ages, something that was meant to stand the test of time. And uh, you did so with the knowledge that what you were making was going to serve as an environment for people to carry out their, um, their lives, right? I think that if I would characterize the core of this book, I would characterize it as an appeal to thinking more long-term about the sort of work that we're doing because in many regards, the digital products and services that we're designing are serving many of the roles that buildings used to play. And in thinking about them as disposable, to use your term, Lisa, uh, kind of short-term uh, pop-up things that are so malleable, that are so prone to changing, um, we design them differently and we don't think about the long term, right? Uh, and it's very um, counterintuitive. It's against its uh, nature to, against the nature of the, the, the kind of medium, the, 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 the materials that we're working with, to think about them as durable things. But um, if we are to use them to uh, support our purposes in the longer term, we have to start thinking of them um, as things that are durable somehow. Uh, which is an excellent point, and it makes me think of, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the chapter about transparency when I was reading the book. Um, that, that got me thinking a, a huge amount. I think it connects with this, that we've, um, we've, we've created um, a mismatch, a misalignment, um, I, th I think, in many situations, between what's, what's been sold by websites or, or companies with web digital places and, um, and what's been um, perceived to be bought by the users on the other end. That's right. Uh, you know, it, th there is a, uh, a lack of understanding of what um, the product being sold is, right? And there's this cliche that uh, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. 
It, it, it has become a cliche in our field, but I don't know how many people who interact with information environments realize the degree to which that is true. Uh, I, th yeah. I think we're still joking about it. I think, I, think we're, I think we're aware of the phrase and people are joking about it. But I, I, I seriously don't think most people truly understand the, the, the price um, that they're being asked to pay and how they're paying it. Um, partly, p perhaps, because the, the price doesn't stay still after the point of contract. Yes. It, it, I, say, I say contract. I mean, as in the moment that you can perceive as the point of exchange doesn't always stay still. I think one of the dynamics that's happened just naturally, and one of, I'm showing my age, but one of the old school things was to say, you know, clicks and bricks. And like, there's this alliance and this substitution and this reuse of language that we use in the real world, right? To talk about digital places, right? But they're not the same, right? So we're trying to substitute concepts in the real world for concepts in digital, which, there are some similarities in the Venn diagram, but then there are just these new possibilities, which is what I think James is alluding to, and they're concepts that people have not wrapped their minds around, right? They don't even understand that these things are possible. And so that sort of goes to the, like, the social and relationship element that you really stress a lot in the book, that you know, we're building relationships online and these new social paradigms, and I think we're sometimes trying to draw analogies, right, to what's going on in the real world, and it's kind of the same, but kind of not. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, in, in many ways we're entering a territory that we're not, uh, I'm not gonna say it's completely unfamiliar, but I'm, I'll say that we, we are kind of unaccustomed to, right? I think most of us kind of intuitively think about um, our um, kind of commercial transactions as something relatively clean and, and simple. I mean, think of, uh, you know, a, a simple commercial interaction where you buy something, you, you hand over cash and are given a product in return, right? Like that's, a, that's, a, that's an understandable thing mm -hmm. that uh, folks uh, have been doing for a very long time. And we are uh, moving into situations where we are entering into commercial transactions that we may not be privy to, that we may not be aware of. Um, there is, I don't know if you've seen this, James, I don't know how much play it's gotten in, in Europe, but there's uh, one of the items that's in the news here in the U.S. Um, as of the past few days is that um, the main mobile carriers uh, have been selling users' location data um, surreptitiously, right? Yeah, I've been, I've been screaming... You guys need GDPR. Yeah, yeah. At the, at, yeah. The, at the screen for days now. It's it's actually shocking that they're still allowed to do so. Yeah, and it's and it's something that as as someone who pays for my you know I have a mobile contract with one of the carriers here. Um, there's nowhere in that transaction when when I become a paying customer of the the carrier that I use. Uh, I don't remember seeing anywhere that they were going to be selling my location data, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not, uh, we, we, we kind of are falling into these things uh, because there's this, there, there's this misalignment between uh, our interests, our expectations as users of these systems and as customers of these systems and um, the, the interests and, uh, and, uh, 
and incentives of the companies that operate them. I mean, is is this what we're um, what you're describing now with the the mobile operators? Is that the the kind of modern equivalent of of the uh, the newspapers that started selling adverts in order to lower the price? Yes, uh, I believe it is. The where did I read this? There, there, there was another news item recently, and I forget what industry it was in. You, you know, CES just happened in Las Vegas, that, that big annual uh, right. consumer electronics show. And uh, I think it's in the context of that that, that this came up, th- this notion that, for example, um, TVs, I think it was TVs, the, 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 the issue where it came up, where um, all of these products are uh, expanding their c- customer base by reducing the entry price, but then they have to make up for it in other ways, right? And one of the ways that they make up for it is by selling advertising. And it's the same business model as, you know, the the, the newspapers and uh, the advertising-supported newspapers. Um, There's a uh, fabulous book by Tim Wu called uh, The Attention Merchants that traces the history of advertising. I I reference that book in in my book because it it does a very uh, comprehensive job of of tracing that history where uh, uh, newspapers, the the news of the day used to be a relatively expensive product that that, um, most folks could not afford. And the way that the cost of entry was lowered was by Open, opening it up to people who were looking to persuade the readers of the newspaper for commercial ends, right? I, I think that that is at the root of many of the problems that we see, in um, particularly in, in today's information environments. It's certainly at the root of all of these problems around um, Facebook and um, what, what happened in the 2016 um, elections that we keep seeing in the news. It's like, well, the... The, the business model that drives this thing is, is uh, based on the notion that we are going to use your, this profile that we're developing about you to sell your attention so that you can be persuaded to, to you know, whoever is willing to pay for it. Yeah. And, that, and there we have the same, I mean, if we're thinking about how, how we perceive things, we, we're used to um, looking at adverts and an understanding that there's an advert there and it's pitching something at me and I, you know, I can then respond to it or I take in, either knowingly or unknowingly, I'm going to take in some branding or so on, TV adverts. But by and large, these have been very simple transactions still. Um, whereas you know, when we start seeing the first adverts online, they were also reasonably simple. They just started appearing you know, right, to the well side. Well, there's an underbelly that many people who do not work in industry don't understand. There's a complexity under the covers <laughs> that most people aren't getting. And so I think that's a huge um, differentiator. You know, Jorge, you mentioned, uh, or both of you all mentioned newspapers, right? And so I was really taken, and I've, I've heard this analogy a lot, but really taken by the the visual at the top of the book. It was either intro or first chapter where you're talking about commuting on BART and yes. people, people staring at their screens, right? And so there's even some meme out there of, you know, people doing that. And we know that people have been absorbed in reading material forever while they commute. They're either reading a book, they have so I'm not moved by the fact that people are staring at something that they're holding in their hand and consuming some type of entertainment. What's different is that they go through the device 
and into another world, which I think is what you're, you're being and, and asking, where are they and where do they go? Um, and I think we all wonder, are we going to spend more time there than we spend here? Um, I'm really interested in that and the, the concept of these social spaces and this, this emphasis on the social. Why did you pick that particular concept? I, well, the, first of all, I think because it is so relevant to what's going on in, in today's world, right? Um, remember, th this book was written, uh, at this point, it's been about 18 months ago, which is kind of right after the, the, the major mm -hmm. world-transforming events of 2016. I'm referring to Brexit mm. and the U.S. election, right? Which... I was thinking you were going to say David Bowie died, yeah. but, you know, I, I, I uh, view those two as well. Uh, yes, and uh, not, not to uh, kind of pin a date on, uh, on, the, on this recording, but that happened three years ago yesterday, which uh, kind of blew my mind, right? Yeah. Because wow, it's, really? Uh, yeah, yeah it, it seems like it was yesterday, but it's, uh, you know, it's been three years. Uh, yes, uh, th and I think that those, uh, 2016, I think, will, will be will come to be seen as a as a watershed year for this stuff because i think it's the moment that served kind of as a wake-up call that uh that something important was happening here uh that was not just um people staring into their phones but it was actually changing the course of um changing the course of our societies in very important ways and it's uh, it's the time when uh, these things started really going into mainstream, uh, you know, gaining some mainstream visibility. We have, you know, for the fallout of that. We have um, the the leaders of some of these organizations having to go up and testify before Congress, right, because of the role that their systems play in shaping public opinion. Uh, so it's uh, it's I think it's a it's a subject that um, has become incredibly relevant, and the social aspect of it I, I I I can sometimes come across as being very critical of these things, but I also want to uh, uh, be sure to 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 mention that there are uh, incredibly exciting and interesting mm -hmm. aspects to systems like Facebook. Right, the example that I often use to talk about this is um, a website for a bank, for example. And comparing that to a visit uh, to a physical bank branch, right? Like when, when I go visit my bank, uh, I do my banking with Citibank, and whenever I go to a Citibank branch, I get to interact with other people. There's usually folks waiting there in line to see the tellers, right? And I have to stand in line and... Um, uh, I uh, I eventually get to interact with uh, the tellers there or, or the bank officer, and we have a we have a transaction that is, yes I'm 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 transacting with a system, but I'm doing so through a human um, a human agent, right? And and I have this kind of human interaction that is happening here. Whenever I visit Citibank.com, I may be there alongside hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of other people, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't know because I, I, there are no signs of people there, right? Like I'm, I'm just kind of completely transacting with content, with, um, with services, uh, kind of anonymously. And there is a personality, you could say, to that particular bank brand, but I'm not, tra I'm not interacting with a human personality. And systems like Facebook, Information environments like Facebook and Twitter 
they're all about human interactions. That's why they're so compelling, because we can go on there and see what our friends are up to and uh, catch up with their lives. You know, they, they kind of bring humanity back into these information environments, which I think is really interesting. And I keep wondering, what would it take to bring more of that into environments like my bank? You know, it's funny. It, it's funny you say that because I am a to a, another bank shouting out a USAA member. I'm, I'm an army brat, right? And so several years ago, they introduced a social component to online banking, where you could basically go talk. You know, once you're logged in, you know, behind the firewall, talk about the products and services, rank them, take them, chat, and not chat chat but you know what i mean talk back and forth with each other about them and what you liked and didn't like and i thought it was kind of one risky right <laughs> to do something like that too but i my response was no i'm not uh -huh. going to do that in this environment right my visceral response was i don't do that i am the chat with you in a line person right i am that person who will turn around and talk to you in a long grocery line or in the bank or whatever but i was not interested in having that conversation with people that I couldn't see, I couldn't make eye contact with. And so that's interesting that you have a similar experience, but a slightly different set of expectations or questions around it. That's a great observation. We are much more willing to be social in some contexts rather than others, right? And some of us more so than others. Mm -hmm. um, mm. uh, I have another uh, another example of, uh, of uh, kind of a social experience in a physical space is uh, visiting a post office and doing the line at the post office, especially when it's busy season, right? right. And you get, uh, if you stand in line at a post office and see what folks are there for, you, you get to see kind of like a cross section of, of who your neighbors are and what they're up to. And it might be that you're not there to socialize. I know I'm not like, I'm not there to like hang out with those people, but, uh, but getting exposed to them and who they are and just the, 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 the knowledge that I'm surrounded by folks who, uh, who have different backgrounds, who have different interests, who have different political perspectives, for example. These are things that uh, physical places have served for a long time and which we risk losing when we move our social interactions to online places that let us kind of be in our own uh, private Idaho's to a degree, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. And, and think, just one, la one last thing, James, and then I'll, I'll stop yapping for a second. That this, you're, the, some of the stuff you're talking about really points to inclusiveness. Like I'm just zeroing in on our different perceptions about banking and online banking and what you would do and not do or what I would do and not do. And so just to draw back a little bit, you know, what responsibility does a developer, whether or not that's any kind of developer, right, um, in the who develops digital spaces, have to everyone to make sure that these spaces are inclusive, that they do account for the introvert who might really enjoy chatting about banking experiences online because they're comfortable doing that from their home, but doesn't want to talk to anybody in the line. And the other person, and it may not even be introvert and extrovert, who's the line chatter, but doesn't want to talk when they're home. How do we make sure that that happens? And not just from that particular binary you know, thing, but on the full continuum of all of who we are. I guess I'm talking about just this intersectional approach to development. Um, how does that fit in? 
You know, it's, it's a fascinating question, Lisa, and one that I'm thinking a lot about, um, especially now, because I'm working on a, uh, a presentation that I'm going to be giving next month at World IA Day around this very subject. And our default, I think that for many of us, uh, I'm not going to generalize here, but I think that for many of us, our kind of uh, root impulse is to say, we want to make this environment as um, personalizable as possible, and we want to make it as accommodating to um, fo- folks from all sorts of different um, perspectives, all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different abilities, right? And that I think it, it, that's a an incredibly noble and uh, and important. Um, direction to aspire towards. But I also think that we need to acknowledge that at the end of the day, we have to establish some degree of common ground for the place to be able to be coherent and to be distinctive and to set itself apart from other parts of the world. Um, This conversation that we're having would be uh, challenging if the three of us were speaking in different languages, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have uh, come together to speak uh, and, and we're speaking in English and that um, that entails some degree of of, uh, I guess, giving up of parts of our identity. English is not my native language. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's something that I do willingly to be able to participate in this conversation and to have it be a. a fruitful and, and, and flowing conversation, right? And I think that the, the, this notion of, of um, accommodating different um, folks uh, stands in tension with the notion of creating a degree of coherence, of developing some kind of group identity that allows us to identify as you know, a certain bank's customers or uh, members of a professional community or what have you, right? So it's it's not a an easy, clean-cut answer. It's you need to figure out where you need to lie on that continuum between uh, establishing group identity and allowing individual identity to flourish. I think I think another aspect of this. I mean, the social the social side of things that we talked about now is is good, and I, I'm. I'm all for it too, but I, I think what, um, and I think the space to have the the people on one side who would do want to talk to people in the queue and so on. But what worries me, and I think what causes um, a, a, a major problem with these spaces and, and this, these interactions, are the recommendation engines that a lot of services and sites having, especially when you compare it to the physical places, physical world, that we we're forcing. So the way that we impact upon social interactions and the, and the social dynamics of groups through other things we present, the recommendation engines, corrupts those places and distorts them hmm. in a way which you wouldn't, you wouldn't have on such a large scale in the physical world. I mean, the, the, a supermarket, a store is, is not um, automatically based on what, you th- what you're saying and what you've consumed earlier, rearranging things in the shelves in front of you as you wheel your trolley around the store. Mm-hmm. Mine does. <laughs> you don't have well, that in Sweden? Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, you're, you're so far ahead of us in Baltimore. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, they've got digital signs on some of the shelves that can update, but they actually don't physically move all the stock around, they're chasing ahead of me. But but that's exactly what we see in some of these 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 digital spaces. That that the the the, the things I've been presented to me, my, my social group might stay the same over a short space of time, but the the things that are pu- pushed into me are are based on what I've liked before, and this par- this polarizes. And and forces us to extremes and corrupts the social space that we've inhabited. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the the word corrupt, uh, you know, is, is kind of loaded, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but 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 I do think that uh, you, that saying that it influences how we think is is certainly apt, right? Probably a much nicer way of putting it. Thank you. This is why I um, talk so much about alignment between the incentives of the organization that is that is building the environment and the incentives of the or the the goals of the people who are using it right i can sometimes come across as hammering very hard on advertising and and it's it is more nuanced than this because some environments are more um are better aligned for uh for persuasion than others right but um if what you're trying to do is tailor an environment to be as persuasive as possible to me as an individual, you're going to try to make it as um, personalized as possible. And you're going to want to tailor it as much to my interests to keep me engaged there. It's almost like I'm, uh, you know, a, a, as an advertiser, I'm trying to drill down to this demographic of one where, where, I, where you know, if I, if I show you the exact things that you want to be shown, uh, you're going to be much more uh, prone to be persuaded than if I'm kind of blanketing you with uh, messages that are designed for a very broad audience. Excellent. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. It's been absolutely excellent talking to you today. It's been my pleasure. And so, so many wonderful topics. And I mean, as usual, I could speak for hours about all these things. It's really um, relevant and important. Well, fantastic. It's been a pleasure talking with you all. Thank you. Oh, there's so, there's so many topics um, that we brought up there that we could keep on talking for hours about. But one, one aspect that we didn't cover completely um, is, is just that of time um, that we... Um, you, know, you talked about mature. You've mentioned maturity before. About we're a very young industry, um, and buildings. You know, they're they're really old things. So they take time to build. Churches used to take hundreds of years to build. Um, supermarkets they take you know a long time to build and planning and set, let it, setting it out. Whereas we're now in digital spaces, digital places, um, working with agile, working iteratively. We're being um, encouraged, forced to 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 push things out and learn when it's out there as opposed to to have the the time the reflection the 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 design the the moment to design before it's released yeah i i agree with that it's it's different but at the same time it's the same i mean i like that you mentioned churches because maybe we'd be better off thinking that we're building a cathedral right and inside that cathedral are many small artifacts large ones systems that are broad tall whatever the case may be and we have to understand who we are in the making of that cathedral, right? And so Agile has a place, right? Maybe there are some things that need to be made quickly, but I think what's missing is the larger larger context and the sense of time. 
Absolutely. And I think even even persuasion has a place. Mm-hmm. I mean, if going, making the connection to religion, mm-hmm. um, religion isn't devoid of persuasion. <laughs> no, it is not. It's part of the system. It just proper place, proper time, or as the Zen Buddhists like to say, skillful means remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Noise. Noise who? Noise to see you. Uh...